Hello, my friends, and happy Father's Day. Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. No matter where you are in the world and no matter what your situation is on this Father's Day, I hope you're all having an amazing day and taking some time to take care of yourself. Just remember that you have a huge support system. We're all cheering for you. We love you. And whatever you're going through, we can get through it. So for this episode of the show, I am joined by Chelsea Peggies. Chelsea is the host of the Sticky Eddie podcast, which is a podcast that explores addiction and how it affects those afflicted as well as their loved ones. This episode is beautiful, inspiring, and heavy. Very heavy. So if you find yourself getting triggered by anything in this episode, please log out, you know, go for a walk, do what you need to do. Um, this is the first time I've cried in a long time. Yep. So strap in your boots. You're in for a wild lot ride. Chelsea is just such a lovely person. And I really want to thank her again for coming on and sharing her story because you know, it's uncomfortable. It's heavy, but we need to talk about this stuff. This, this super important stuff to talk about. So thank you, Chelsea, for coming on. Now, before we get into the episode today, guys, you know the drill. If you're listening, please like, comment, share, subscribe, give five stars if you're on that podcast platform. Share with someone who might want to hear this episode. It's a really great one, and I can't wait for you to listen. I'll talk to you all very soon. Have a great rest of your day. Peace. We're good to go. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, how are you? I'm it's good. It's so good to see you, Harry. It's good to see you too. <laughs> this is a long time coming. I, I remember yeah. we, we mentioned this when I came on your show about, you said a year ago, I think. I, I'm bad with time. I'm definitely lying to you. <laughs> it, I remember it was cold. That's all I remember. Yeah. Well, you live in Canada, so. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> that could be any of the nine months of the year. Like, like a day that ends with why yeah there's yeah, <laughs> yeah there's three months where it couldn't have been that's it <laughs> but um no I'm very excited that you're here um and I guess my first question for you is like what, what got you inspired to start the sticky eddie podcast where'd that come from well sticky comes from my dad he was a professional drummer and um during his lifetime he used the name sticky as kind of like a stage name so there's two eyes in sticky to represent the drumsticks obviously he was so clever um <laughs> and he was my best friend i mean the best dad sincerely um he just he was so funny and charismatic and warm, um, but unfortunately he also suffered with alcohol abuse disorder and he passed away unexpectedly in December, 2020. And uh, grief is really what got me to starting the podcast. When my dad died, it hit me that I really didn't know anything about addiction. And it pained me to know that I wasn't the only child out there who suffered this way, losing a parent to an addiction and, and also at the same time not knowing what to do or how to support their loved one and feeling really guilty about that. Um, so I started bouncing around ideas and started doing some research and collecting people to talk to and the Sticky Eddie podcast was born. And a year later, I've spoken to people all over the world and learned so much more than I ever could. A lot of my views on addiction have changed. And I've met some amazing people such as yourself. So it's been a good journey. No, I love that. That's amazing. Yes. Like, thank you for sharing. And thank you for your platform. Because I, I mean, again, I, I think I thank you a lot. And I think I we talk all the time. <laughs> But it, it is so important because, like you mentioned, you, you said you didn't really have that great of an insight on addiction. But right. that's not just you. Like the, the, the gen like the masses in the world don't know much about addiction. Yeah. We kind of have our understanding through movies and through, you know, these like horror stories and everything. And then based on that, people who experience it don't want to open up about it because they're like, oh, shit, well, they're going to think I'm like that dude in that movie on the corner, like shaking. It's not like that all the time. Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that because I always think um, when the pandemic first hit, my family and I were looking for things to do. And for some reason, we found ourselves down in New York City one day of all places. And um, we were having lunch at like one of the sidewalk restaurants. 
that were so popular at the start of the pandemic. Um, and I'll never forget seeing this guy. He was, he was a homeless man and he was sitting on the sidewalk behind us charging his phone because in the city they have like these um, like phone charging kiosks, I guess, mm -hmm. every couple of blocks. Um, so he was sitting on the ground and he was charging his phone and he was, he didn't look well, you know, like he was clearly soiled and he, he just looked kind of out of sorts. But there was something about him that told me that this was not how he had lived his entire life. Do you know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he had a way about him that said like, this is a person who has clearly fallen on hard times. Um, but I don't think this is how he's lived all of his life. And he was approached by a police officer who was kind of chasing him away because of all the nicer restaurants that he was sitting near. I guess people were disturbed by the site, you know, right. unfortunately. Yeah. But when he got up to speak to the police officer, he found a mask in his backpack and he stood up and he like put his hands up right away and he approached the police officer so respectfully and calmly. And whatever their transaction was, um, you know, the police officer went away and the guy picked up all his belongings and, and went elsewhere. But just something about the image always stuck with me. And that's how I've started to think of addiction. You know, we, we can't lead with judgment or we're doing ourselves a grave disservice because I think all of us, especially now in the wake of the pandemic, we're all teetering on the brink of that line of, you know, living a quote unquote normal sheltered life and not. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, you nailed it because I, I was talking to someone and I don't know if the episode ever got, I don't think I ever released the episode, but it was this, it was this <laughs> woman who had experienced homelessness Oh wow! and you know, she had started as like a graduate from a university and then kind of fell on hard times and all of a sudden it switched. And then as she was in that, she was like, wait, what, what the hell, how'd this happen? And mm -hmm. I think people forget that is that like, I've seen none of my friends, thankfully, thank God. But when we're when I'm walking in the streets of Toronto, you know, homelessness is of course a thing, yeah. and you just see people treat them so poorly, yeah. and it's like you, you they they're looking down on them, they're like mocking them, they're making fun of them, and you forget that one obviously they're people, yeah. like they're they're also human beings, and two, anyone could experience that. Like there there is such a fine line that you forget about. Yeah, and, and it's the same thing with addiction. Anyone can experience addiction and you never know when it will find you, how it will find you. I don't know, and it's sad to say, I, I will never know now. Um, I'm not really sure what the root cause of my father's addiction was, but I know that it started when he was like nine years old. Mm that's the first time that he ever had a sip of someone else, you know, an adult leaves a drink on a table during a cocktail party or whatever the case. Um, and it's just something that he developed a taste for. And then being a musician, you know, all of his life is lived in, in venues and bars and things like that, where it's so easily accessible. Um, and also, you know, my dad grew up in the late fifties and early sixties. Culturally, things were much different. Um, he went to a Catholic school that was unfortunately extremely abusive. Um, so I don't know the extent to which childhood trauma played a part. Mm -hmm. He never really divulged. He would just say that he liked the way that the alcohol made him feel. So obviously he was trying to numb or repress something. Yeah. But on the surface, it didn't take away from the fact that he was an amazing parent. He was always present for me um you know he got up at 5 a.m every day and, and you and I talked about this he was a courier for FedEx uh as his day job so he would get up at 5 a.m every day he was out you know working he never missed a day he was a high functioning person suffering from a very deep addiction and um I think Again, now in the wake of everything that we've all been through the past almost three years, a lot of us are becoming high functioning addicts, right? Yeah. You know, and it, it's scary. 
Um, but that's the number one thing that I've learned on this journey. Don't judge because you never know what someone else needs to lean on just to make it through a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. That's great advice. Now, now growing, growing up and everything, you said your dad was, you know, always present, highly functioning. And of course, you, the knowledge that you had of addiction was, was minimal. None. <laughs> right, none. But yeah. was there, were there hints growing up where you were kind of like, oh, my dad's experiencing something behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, from a really young age, I knew that whatever dad had in his cup was making him act mm. differently. Um, when I was a really little kid, it was a couple of glasses of wine in, and I would notice that he would just become a little louder, maybe a little more gregarious. Um, you know, he, he actually gained a little bit of confidence and would feel, I guess, like he was being the life of the party. Hmm. Um, but it's something that my parents always argued about. You know, my mom just saw a horrible pattern developing and, and he was never physically abusive, but they would just fight all the time because my mom could also see the changes in his personality and she just didn't like what it was doing to him. It, it just made him obnoxious and harder to be around after a while. Um, and my parents started fighting when I was a really little kid I remember we moved into the house that I grew up in when I was eight years old and our first Christmas Eve in the house, I don't know what happened, but they got into such a fight that ended with my mom, like wielding a knife and yelling, yelling at him to get out of the house. And my dad was like hysterical and it was just, it was a disaster. And I remember just sitting in the middle of the kitchen floor, just begging them, like, please get divorced. Like I can't take it anymore whatever the situation is that's causing all of this, it has to stop. You know, you guys need to either figure it out or just get a divorce. I literally just couldn't handle the yelling and the fighting anymore. Um, but my dad would always say, you know, I don't want to be a part-time parent. I don't want to only see you on the weekends. Um, so it's sad because knowing what I know now, um, if my mom had known how to say to him, like, look, if you don't want to go to AA because you have a problem with the, the spirituality of it, or if you'd rather not try therapy, like we have to do something. There are methods of harm reduction to try. There's medically assisted treatments um, that can be attempted with the help of a doctor. There's so many options that honestly, even if he never officially quit drinking for the rest of his life, if he had just felt better supported, I don't know which way it would have gone, Harry, hmm. you know, and maybe their marriage could have been saved. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, there was turmoil a lot growing up from a really early age, for sure. And you said that that fight with your mom wielding the knife and you begging them to get divorced. <laughs> was that when you first moved into that house? Like you were eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a it lot. Was, it was a lot, for sure. Um, and I joke all the time with people because... I have a horrible memory. It's like, I know a lot of people say that they can't remember, you know, things from childhood or whatever. For me, I feel, I feel something in like deep within that tells me that there was just so much turmoil that I literally think I've just blocked everything out. Mm. Um, because again, in the absence of physicality, that doesn't mean that there's still not trauma. Right. You know, like listening to the yelling and I'm an only child. So mm. as a minor child in this house, like I literally have nowhere yeah. to go. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so thank God. I mean, I'm, I'm a little older than you are. So back in my day, we used, <laughs> we used to spend a lot of time outside, you know, so I was always, I would escape to the backyard or I would be over at friends' houses, you know, and then I would just kind of get away from it that way. But I wish I could remember exactly the pivotal moment that like made her pick up the knife and be like, you have to get out of the house. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess that's what the trauma does. It just forces you to, to kind of move forward and, and block things out. That's the thing, right? Like I, when I, when I was doing my own inner work and I was going to a therapist and everything, we would bring up stuff and then something would un 
uncover a memory that mm. I had deep within. And I'm like, oh, I don't. Did that actually happen? Like, I don't yeah. remember that happening. And then it's like, oh, that's the reason I do this. Oh, it's weird how that the brain like tries to protect you in the sense where it's like, oh, you don't need to remember that. You're OK. Like, we, we don't have to go yeah. back there. Yeah, your inner child, right? You have mm-hmm. to work on the inner child first. Isn't that scary though? When you think of something and you're like, "Oh my God, I've been, I've been carrying that around all this time, and I had no idea." Yep. Yep. It's, it's frightening for sure. But that's these moments are so um, strange to me, and I talk about that all the time. Anybody that listens to the show knows that my favorite word is duality. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's exactly what it is right you know my dad and my you know like I was born and my dad and I just latched on to each other um he just always took the time to forge a really special connection with me um through music through art through books we spent so much time in nature together and and that's why I'm always outside um you know, he, he was really intelligent and really well-rounded and very funny. And I can obviously see, you know, why he and my mom were together in the first place. Um, and so it just horrified me the older I got to watch this man who had so many, you know, multifaceted, he was just so skilled and capable and, and just wonderful why are you doing this to yourself would always be my question Mm. you know he was an amazing drummer um really well recognized in our area you know like why why would you degrade yourself this way was always my question um and I feel like had I just done a little bit more digging earlier on maybe I would have been able to better support myself as well right was asking questions like that ever frustrating for you because from the outside looking in yeah yeah anybody who's dealt with someone that they love suffering from addiction uh, who obviously doesn't know too much about it going in will say that you you really just want to beat the shit out of the person sometimes Mm -hmm. like you really just want to grab them by the shoulders and be like what are you like why are you doing this why and then it becomes why don't you care about me enough to stop Right. You know, why don't you see what you're doing to me? Why don't you see what you're doing to the family? Why, why are you doing this to us? When honestly, I mean, Harry, you know, cause you've suffered with depression and, and, and you and I, I think both have suffered with some anger issues. Yep. We're not, yeah, we're not trying to hurt the people that we love. Like that's, that's not the goal. Um, and honestly, it has nothing to do with the people that we love. We're struggling with an internal battle that we can't get a grip on. And, and it's the same thing in my experience with addiction. There's some underlying depression or some underlying experience that we are trying to numb and escape from. And that's um, what I've come to find, not all, but with the majority of people I've spoken to, a lot of the addiction starts at a surprisingly young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing with all the all the situations that you mentioned, like if you're trying to numb the pain, or you're, you're reacting in a way and people don't understand. It's almost like that person. I mean, I can only speak from experience. But when I was like, when I had anger problems, or I would react in a certain way, or I would just kind of shut the world off and just kind of be by myself and people kept asking why you forget that what you're doing is going to impact other people, you're just trying to get out of your own head. Like, like it gets to a point where you're like, I really don't care what I do as long as I get out of my head, because then I can be there for other people. But then you forget that the thing you're doing to help yourself and other people impacts other people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's so, it's interesting that you say that because after I lost my dad, I had no, um, I shouldn't say no, but I had less of an escape, I guess, if that makes any sense. Cause I used to, we, like I said, he was my best friend. I mean, you know, my husband and I are obviously very close, but when something happened or I needed advice or whatever, I would always reach out to my dad. And in his absence, I, I'm suddenly looking around like, holy, like, what do I do? What do I do about anything? 
you know? Um, And so I started really looking at myself and I started realizing like, holy shit, I'm really depressed. And I, I was before I lost him. What is that about? You know, like maybe I should start working on this and addressing my own issues so that by the time my son is a teenager, he doesn't feel like, you know, like I'm putting my burdens on him, you know, as a parent, I don't have the luxury of sitting around and and wallowing in myself. You know, I have to fix it. I have to do the work now so that I can be present and supportive and and raise this kid with the love that he deserves and also be a a good spouse. Um, So yeah, losing him forced me to look at my own internal struggles as well, start doing the work to address those. And then also surprisingly, I realized like, hey, maybe my relationship with alcohol isn't so healthy. Mm. You know, like I would always say, well, I'm not the addict in my life. My dad is, you know, but then after a while I started realizing like, "Mm, you, you might need to chill out as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not adding anything to my personality. It's not adding anything to my life. So really, why is it here? Yeah. It's almost like that's that. Uh, that phrase where it's like well if I'm doing better than them then I'm fine yeah like you were looking at your father and being like well I'm not I'm not the addict in my family so I'm okay but then like that's not a great way to look at it no I'll tell you the last um the last summer that he was alive a couple of months before he passed away we were hanging out at my mom's house Uh, my parents did eventually get divorced Mm. Um, and oddly enough, they became best friends. They, um, interesting. yes, it was, it was interesting. It was funny and it was really a relief for all of us who love them both because it made life so much easier. Um, but they ended up living around the corner from each other. My mom stayed in our house and my dad found an apartment very close by. Uh, we were hanging out at my mom's house one day and my dad was just, wasted inebriated I don't know how early he had started but he was really taking advantage of the the beautiful summer day and he went to leave and um, he always parked in the same spot on the side of the garage but it was a little tricky to pull out of and um, he ended up backing over this rock wall that's a part of a garden that my mom has on the side of the garage and it was it was just like devastating to watch. First of all, you know, I was, I was trying to have him not get in the car in the first place. Um, so that, that was argument number one. And then when he backed over this wall, it's, it's like looking at your hero and just watching them fall apart in front of you. My heart was like crumbling. It was the most devastating thing to watch. And he couldn't see what he was doing to himself still, you know, he just, he was angry at me for trying to stop him. He was angry at me for now the car being damaged. Um, He was just, it was a mess. Um, A tow truck came and had to pull the car off the wall. And and it was just, um, it was just really such a horrific afternoon. Um, We ended up getting him back inside. He did not try to get back behind the wheel of anything and um and he slept it off at my mom's house but those were the instances where I was like this is not my dad this is not the person that I know and love and and this is what the addiction is doing to him um he was also hospitalized several times he had had a small stroke um and and it's funny because you and I were talking earlier about JT Wahlberg I didn't know until speaking to JT and reading his book um, early on in, in my podcasting experience that you can die from withdrawing from alcohol mm. without medical assistance. Um, and so that's exactly what my dad had been trying to do at one point. And he started hallucinating um, and got really, really sick. We rushed into the hospital and he lost his speech um, for a couple of weeks. He had had a, a really minor stroke. Wow. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. The, the journey that I went on with him toward the end um, was ferocious and horrific and, um, and a big motivation because I, I hate to think that there are, like I said earlier, other children, other loved ones in the world 
who experience this type of devastation and feel like they have nowhere to turn. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did, did you see him after that summer? Um, so that, let's say that was in July. And then I think by the end of July, he had stopped drinking again, because that was also his MO. He would take breaks and I would be tricked into thinking that everything was going to be great. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so let's see, that was in July, 2019, I want to say. And then for months and months after that, he was great. We were doing really well. He was sober. Um, it was wonderful. We were spending so much time together. Then the pandemic hit. Mm. Oh, that little <laughs> thing. Yeah, that small right. little blip on the radar. No big deal. Um, the pandemic hit and my parents were living separately. You know, obviously I don't live with them. Um, my dad has pre-existing conditions because he also had COPD. Um, so in the beginning, when everybody was terrified that we would infect each other and our, our elders would pass away and, and all of that, we stopped hanging out with my parents. You know, we would FaceTime with them and my dad would spend hours FaceTiming with my son um, just to be in contact. But the depression and the isolation of not being with us really hit him hard. And then um, I saw him for my birthday in November, 2020. He and I spent the entire day together, just us. Um, we had a really, really good day. Um, we're big car fanatics, my dad and I. So he gave me a little matchbox um, Hudson Hornet for my birthday. And um, which makes me really emotional because I'm also a huge Paul Newman fan. And mm. he was the voice of the Hudson Hornet in cars. Right. Um, so it's just, it's very special to me. But then when my dad realized that we wouldn't be able to have Thanksgiving together that year, it just threw him over the edge and he started drinking excessively. Um, and by late December, uh, it was so bad that I just, I told him like, I, I can't, I have to get off this ride. Like, I just, I don't know what to do for you anymore. And I just can't handle this. Uh, so the last time I spoke to him, I think was December 18th. I really brushed him off. He was getting on my nerves. It was first thing in the morning and I could tell that he was already like half in the bag. Um, he was very overly emotional. And so I was just like, all right, dad, you know, I gotta go. I just wanted to check in. I love you and I'll talk to you later. And in a really small voice, which haunts me to this day because my dad did not have a small voice. He's like, okay, kiddo, you know, I love you too. And, uh, and that was it. And a couple of days later, I found out that he was gone. It was December 23rd, 2020. Um, and, and that was, you know, he had had an upper GI bleed from excessive drinking and he had been alone in his apartment for a few days before we realized that he was gone. Uh, so that was the end of my 2020, packing up my dad's apartment and having to say goodbye to my soulmate. Yeah. <laughs> heavy, mm. heavy stuff. That's a lot. Sure. Yeah. Um, man. Yeah. What is it like getting that phone call? <sighs> Harry. It's surreal. And the funny thing about grief is you don't really start grieving. I think for like a year after you lose someone very significant to you. The shock um, lasted for many, many months. I got that phone call and I just remember screaming. Um, I was already on the road because I had called the police to do a wellness check on him. And when they didn't get back to me right away, I just got in the car because I, I knew something was really wrong. Um, so I was like halfway down the highway and I'm doing, I don't know, whatever my car red lines at probably like 110. That's, <laughs> that's what I was doing. Um, and my husband was the one to call me and tell me what the police had found. And I just remember screaming. And the next thing I knew I was at my dad's door and, uh, and I never saw him again. Um, I didn't see him that day. The police wouldn't let me in. 
um, you know, because of the state that he was in and the way that he looked, they were like, you, you just, it's not your dad. Like, you don't want to remember him that way. Um, so it's a blur. I know that I was just devastated, you know, like I'm, I'm, this is my dad. Like, I don't, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And then I just flew into action. You know, it was just, okay, you know, they took him away. We locked the door. Um, I took his most valuable things. Um, I don't even know why. (laughs) They just, they handed me a pile, like, with his wallet and his glasses um, and keys and cell phone. And I was like, okay, you know, like, sure. Um, And then the next day, I had to start packing the apartment. And again, I'm an only child. Um, To boot, shortly before he passed away, we started realizing that my mom was in early dementia. Mm. Like she just, it's like talking to Dory. Like she circles the (laughs) fishbowl and like doesn't remember anything. Um, So she was kind of useless. Sorry, mom. But she was... (laughs) She was kind of useless when it came to packing up the apartment um, because she was just so devastated, you know, like they, they weren't married anymore, but they were best friends and they Mm -hmm. spent a life together. So it was just action, you know, packing things up and deciding what, what to do with most of it and, um, and what to keep. And then I opened a cabinet that I thought was full of CDs and God bless my dad. I, I just, I can't thank him enough. And one day in a hundred years, when I see him again, it'll be one of the first things I tell him, like, I'm so thankful for you. I opened this cabinet and my dad had cataloged like every piece of important paperwork in date order and written on it, like exactly what was what, and everything was so meticulous. Mm. And then, um, you know, I'm putting, I'm packing up his, cause he was decorating for Christmas. Mind you, again, this was December 23rd. So all his Christmas decorations were out. Like he was getting ready to see all of us. Flipping over Christmas decorations and there's pieces of scotch tape on the bottom that say like when the last time he changed the batteries were. I was like, <laughs> yeah. look at this dude. Like, how are you such a mess? And yet you're so not a mess. Like mm-hmm. I, it was so frustrating. Um lifting up his mattress and finding all of our Christmas presents under the mattress, you know, things for my son and and cards for Mike and I, oh man, it was just, it's, it just puts you in a space of, okay, I have to get this done. I have to move past this part and then I can grieve. And then it's like, oh no, wait, then I have to settle his estate and then I can grieve. And then it's, well, the estate is settled, but I still have A, B, and C to do. And then I can, and you're always thinking of the moment when you can finally sit down and breathe and it never comes. Mm. It still hasn't come. I'm still waiting for the day where I'm like at peace. It still hasn't hit me yet. When did you, because that moment hasn't come yet, but when did you start to, actually take it in register and grieve i don't want to say grieve because you just said that the the proper grieving hasn't started but like when did you when did it first start to really sink in you know what's so funny again it hasn't really yet but i'll tell you this i recently went back to working in my office and i work about 35 minutes away from my home. And I would always call my dad on the way home from work when I was in the office and we would chat until I made it to pick up my son. And the first time I got in the car to go home from the office in two years, and I realized that I couldn't pick up the phone and chat with him. That's when I was like, oh shit, you know, like I'll never, I'll never be able to do that again. And so I just, you know, I cry all the time. Like I literally cry like at least three times a day. I feel that. (laughs) But it just felt so hollow. And I think in the past couple of weeks, 
I really started noticing like, oh, <laughs> it feels like your arm is missing, you know? Mm. Like, well, how do I navigate now that I don't have my right hand? You know, like how, how do I make life happen with my left? Um, and it's funny that I'm talking to you the day before Father's Day, because I've really been reflecting on Father's Day. Um, you know, and of course I have my husband to celebrate, but he's not my dad. Right. You know, um, so I've just been thinking of, you know, riding a bike with him for the first time, uh, having him teach me how to throw a football. You know, I've been reflecting on uh, the first time we went to a car show together and he was so proud of me when, you know, I mean, I grew up going to car shows with him, but when people actually started taking their time to talk to me, these, these big burly men who know everything about muscle cars, realizing that, hey, I do too, and actually wanting to talk to me and the pride on his face, you know, mm. um, this guy asked me, well, hey, you know, like, um, you want to know a fun fact about it? He had a, a beautiful, beautiful hunter green and gold 53 Cadillac. And he was like, oh, you know, there's a little known trick about the gas tank on this thing. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, you have to flip down the back tail light. And the uh -huh. guy was like, oh my God, like, how do you, how does this little lady know that? You know, like little things like that, that would just always make my dad like chuckle from his belly and like, just be so proud. Um, you know, when I hear Frank Zappa randomly, um, or when I listen to Queen because Queen are one of my favorites and my dad hated that I loved them so much. <laughs> you know, those are the things that make me realize how good of a dad he was, but also that I have a lot to deal with that I still haven't gone through yet. Mm -hmm. Were you ever angry at yourself? I'm angry at myself every day, every day. I'm so angry. Um, and people tell me all the time, you don't know what you don't know and you have to be graceful with yourself and you have to be kind to yourself because that's just, you know, something, and I hate to be hypocritical because I tell people that all the time too, like be nice to yourself and, and take good care of yourself and understand that nobody knows everything and education is a process. And I mean that when it applies to other people, but we're so hard on ourselves, right? Mm. So yeah, I'm pissed off every day. I'm pissed off every day that I don't have a DeLorean to take myself back in time and say to this wonderful man, like, Hey, you know, you're pretty amazing. Like, what can I do to help you? you you've been such a great dad to me. How can we support you and give back a little bit of the joy that you've given us? Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm angry all the time at that. Did you, has there been like, have, have you, I know you just said you're angry at yourself all the time, but was there ever a point where you started to forgive yourself? I don't think that's happened yet. No. I, I, I don't think that's happened yet. Um, I laugh more often now. Um, I find joy more easily than I did a few months ago. But I don't know if I'll ever forgive myself, Harry. And I, I should, right? Because I was a child. Like, what the hell did I know? Mm -hmm. um, and no child should have to learn so much about substance abuse. Um, you expect to be parented. And in a way, when you're dealing with a parent who struggles with addiction, you have to be the parent. Um, and I wasn't prepared for that. So there are so many elements to my story where I'm like, okay, well, I can see how that happened. And, you know, why should I be so hard on myself? But I think when you love someone so hard, that's why. That's why you're so hard on yourself. Why couldn't you save them? Right. 
Oh, Chelsea, man. Sorry I'm bumming you out on <laughs> No, Saturday it's not. No, no, no. No, I appreciate this story. Thank God for the light, because I was, like, cheering up that whole freaking story. Um, I'm glad I made it through without crying. I'm also jealous. Did you? Did I see you drinking a juice box? <laughs> I love juice boxes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I need my orange juice in the morning. Oh, my God. How cute. They're not, they're not for me, but I take them anyway. They're not for me. Yes, they are. Stop lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Well, no, yeah. I I mean I don't even remember what my next question was. <laughs> Take your time. Thank God for editing, right? And your audience should know while while you're thinking of what your your next question was. Harry and I were talking uh, a little bit earlier and we were I was mentioning all my favorite comedians um and how shout out to Ellison, he's the funniest. JT's mm -hmm. got the best beard. <laughs> Chris Swick is definitely uh, the most energetic and Harry's the cutest. That's right. Look at that. And the, I mean. the juice, <laughs> the juice box just solidified that. Can you deny it now? <laughs> oh, good golly. Like how pure, how pure of heart. <laughs> the Canadian Avengers. I can't. Um, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm so impressed with um, just you sharing your story because again, you said you didn't cry. And like, it just, I, I mean, when I didn't realize how recently it, it had happened, like even when we first met and we were talking about your father, I was like, oh, this probably happened like, like five, six years ago, just because you have this like poise to you and like this, oh, thank you. On, I mean, from what I've seen, I'm not just making, I'm not going to make assumptions off camera because I'm the same way. I'll be fine <laughs> on camera and I'll be like a mess off of it. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like for for people listening who maybe you know are like grieving with a loss the loss of a loved one or I don't know, maybe are dealing with, you know, a parent who's dealing with addiction and don't really know what to do. Like w what are some tips that have worked for you moving forward that you would want to give them? First of all, find help. Please find help. I know that it might be easier said than done, given the climate that we're in um, and how in demand therapy is right now, but find someone to talk to who knows what they're doing and can support you appropriately and suggest things that can be cathartic for you. Um, write things down. Like I said, I have a horrible memory. Um, but writing little notes um, has really helped me just when I think of something or when I hear a line that I really like or anything. You don't have to journal per se, but just writing your thoughts down sometimes can really help you go back and look at it later and be like, you know, become more in tune with what puts you in that space. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking the other day how there were days the summertime brings me to life. The spring and the summer, I always feel much better and much more in tune. Um, so I think of my Saturdays, you know, um, the days where I feel a lot more depressed and a lot less motivated. What puts me there and what helps me out of it? And I try to keep track of that. Um, if you're someone who is able-bodied, and you're, you know, not already someone who exercises regularly, try it, try implementing that into your routine. I know you, Harry, um, had posted a while ago, scenes from your walks, mm. you know, and, and little bits of nature that you were getting into when things were getting pretty rough. I highly recommend it. If you're not a runner, you don't have to be anything hardcore, but just get outside, go for a walk around the block. It sounds very, bohemian or whatever but it it really helps um there's a reason why exercise is so highly recommended and know this I think this is probably my most important tidbit you don't have to do anything you don't have to start a podcast about losing your loved one you don't have to start a nonprofit. you don't have to become an advocate 
you don't have to do anything. You don't put that pressure on yourself. If it's something that you want to do or that you're driven to do or that you find purpose in and it helps you begin the healing process, then great. But I think there's a lot of pressure on people these days to like go out and do something massive with their time. Everybody mm. wants to make an impact. And sometimes the greatest impact that you can make is just being around your loved ones. Just be there. Um, heal quietly and, and just be present with your family um, because we need each other. We all need each other. And, um, and I think when you put too much pressure on yourself to do something bigger than yourself, it leads to what you were just talking about very recently, which is burnout. Mm burnout is so real. And, um, and I loved that episode that you did. I listened to it twice um, because it's, it, no, it, it spoke to me so deeply um, because I had to force myself to take a break from my own show because I was like, I, I just, I was falling out of love with it and I needed to figure out why. And it was just because I was tired and I wasn't giving myself a chance to just heal a little bit. Um, so those are just my greatest suggestions. I would never, I would never really want to give actual advice right. because I have no earthly clue what I'm doing day to day, <laughs> moment to moment. I, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a fly by the seat of your pants kind of situation. And like you were, you and I were talking about earlier, just keep faking it till you make it or talk mm -hmm. till you, you end up making a point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um but that's me man I'm just I'm doing the best that I can and I'm hoping that anything that I say finds its way to someone who needs it yeah right oh, amazing um I, I guess another one of the questions I had that um I never had the chance to ask earlier you know you you have a son yeah have you talked to him about that whole situation like i i don't know how old is your son sorry he's seven he'll be eight in a couple of weeks i can't even he's getting old eh? Yeah, it goes quick yeah, I am. <laughs> how how do you how do you talk about stuff like that with your kid in a child appropriate way because that's that's a theme that's come up on the show a lot not not about addiction per se but like mental health challenges and abuse and you know uh hatred out there in the world because the world is a scary place and it gets nasty and it you want to prepare your kids but yeah they're like how do you how do you even talk to them about that oh um i i was honest the day that i found out that my dad was gone um i sent i called my husband and i had him send our son to a neighbor's house um and when we all got home and got settled late that night, um, I told him what had happened. We told him right away and we were honest. And we said, you know, Papa isn't coming back and, and you know, he's gone and it's very sad. And my son fell apart because he mm. was really, I mean, again, my dad was a magical parent. He was an even better grandparent. I right. mean, they were peas in a pod. Um, my son started making comments about there being wine in our house. And when he started making those comments, especially around the holidays this past year, I was like, you know what? He's at that age. He's starting to pick up on this like I was. So I'm, I need to, again, reel this in. I have explained to my son very vaguely what addiction is. I won't even lie. Um, I, I tell him that there are chemical imbalances in our brains that make some people like a sponge. And mm. the people that are more like sponges are more, you know, they absorb wine and alcohol and certain substances a little bit differently. And it makes these substances more attractive to them um, because of the way that their brain chemistry works. And so therefore it affects them differently and it can lead to dangerous situations. Beyond that, 
I haven't elaborated with him very much because I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that conversation. Yeah. He's still, he's not little anymore, but he's still a little kid. Right. You know? So I think when children reach closer to nine or 10 is when we really need to start reintroducing that conversation and and maybe explaining to them, like, there are things that will alter your mindset. This is what happens. This is why perhaps some people indulge more than others. I'd really like to start approaching it with him from a more scientific view. Um, just so that he understands the why of it all, you know? Right. Um, because I know plenty of people that are still in active addiction, but are so highly functioning. And then there are people like ugh, Dr. Carl Hart. I don't know. I go back and forth with him. If I, if any listeners oh, are familiar, you know, he, definitely. Yeah. I remember he, him. Yeah. he does heroin and he indulges in drugs um, casually yeah. and there's science behind it. You know, I mean, again, no, no more judgment from me. I don't judge anybody that does anything as long as you are staying safe. Um, I think legalization is a wonderful thing because it allows more substances to be regulated. Mm. Um, And honestly, alcohol is the most dangerous substance of all, especially because it's legal and it's everywhere. Moms and dads are showing up to soccer practice with alcohol in their thermoses. You know, I mean, it's, it's so much more prevalent than heroin or, or anything else that's around because it's legal and it's, it's just so available. It's in the grocery store. Um, it's at CVS, you know, we can buy beer at CVS here in the States. Um, so not to get too off topic, but I just, I think the more you talk to your kids and the more you just try to explain to them what the facts are. I think that's the best approach. And especially as they approach like 10, 11, 12, when you start to lose them to their peers. Right. You know, I know I'm not stupid. I know that my kid is going to smoke weed eventually one day. I know that he's going to get drunk and he's going to experiment, you know, Um, and that's, you know, I mean, it's not fine because I'm his mom and I always want him to be safe. But at the same time, I have to say, you know, well, I want him to be safe. So I need him to know that he won't be judged, that he's not going to be a criminal in this house, that if he develops a problem, God forbid, he needs to come and and talk to me about it. Right. Um, Let your kids know that you're not going to, you know, there's no, there's no, um, oh gosh, words are escaping me again, but they're not essentially that they're not going to be criminalized for it you know, that they're, you're not going to kick them out of the house. They have somewhere to go and someone to talk to if things become a problem. Mm-hmm. I just always want the line of communication to be open there. Right. There's like no shame. Yeah. It's so scary, Harry. Oh my God. It's, it's just being a parent is terrifying as it is. And also too, speaking to your point, you know, my son is biracial. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worry every time he goes to school because you can't even send your child to school these days without. Yeah, that was, yeah. Freaking yeah. out. Mm-hmm. You know, I worry about my husband leaving the house every day. I mean, you know, it, it's just, we live in a world where you just, you have to be gentle where and when possible because there are, there are bigger fish to fry. You can't go to the grocery store and, and not worry about your safety. Yeah. God. So I'm not so worried if he smokes pot as long as he comes home at the end of the day. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I know yeah. that might sound insane to some people, but uh, it shouldn't. <laughs> le- yeah. Lesser of two evils. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that shouldn't sound insane to anybody that yeah man yeah well chelsea um (laughs) thank you for coming on and are you sure no no i i am because this is like here's the problem is that we don't we don't talk about this stuff enough and i think the problem it's not really a problem but the reason that you don't hear about it so much in the media and i guess you kind of do but not really main mainstream media is because it's one of those topics where 
people are like, oh, I don't want to hear that. And so it doesn't generate a lot of popularity that way. So it's not yeah. in high demand, but it's, it's such a necessary conversation, especially like to your point earlier about the pandemic. And this is, I mean, the freaking pandemic is, uh, this might as well be called the pandemic corner because it's all we freaking talk about. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it's just brought on so many more issues or has yeah. re rebirthed issues or uncovered stuff. And we're still not really talking about it. We're kind of just like, oh, well, we don't need masks anymore and we can go everywhere. All right. All our problems are gone then. Nope. That's not how that works. Uh, so all these issues that we haven't dealt with for two years, we're walking around with them. Like you said before, we're just uh, functional addicts or functional depressed people. And so I really think I really want to thank you for the platform you have and, you know, coming on and sharing this story about your dad and, you know, bringing on all these addiction specialists and everything onto your show to bring light onto this because you don't hear about it enough, but you freaking should. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Harry. You're so I love talking to you. I was so excited to, to be a guest. I'm really honored that you asked me because your show is so well produced and well put together. And I just I admire you. You have wisdom well beyond your years. Um, and I'm just so grateful for the support of this community, right? This community it's pretty awesome. It's wonderful. It really is. We are so supportive of one another. There is no, um, there's like no bloodthirsty competition. Everybody's climbing to the top. Everybody truly is so kind here. And I love this space that we have with mental health and, and addiction and just podcasting in general. So I'm grateful for you for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it makes, it makes me feel pretty good when I see the state of, you know, the mental health podcast community because yeah. it makes you feel like okay we're we're getting somewhere the fact that there's yeah. i mean you know there's a new one every day which i'm not complaining about i think it's great all these people talking into a microphone about issues that they have or sharing stories or you even see it in like some of the mainstream ones now where they're talking about i mean this is such a tangent and i'm gonna keep it really brief but like even in hip-hop like i'm a big hip-hop fan and like Kendrick Lamar just released an album and it was all yes. about mental health. And I was it's like, so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. I was like, this guy just made an album about his childhood trauma, mental health, like addiction, sex addiction, everything, and made it fire. Yeah. And everyone's listening to it. I'm like, we're headed in the right direction. I hope so, as everyone should. And also, too, even with the, um, I always, get tongue-tied on the acronym and forgive me because I am an ally but the LGBTQ yep. plus okay 2YA Great. plus okay there okay go. yes yeah. all of all of that because I, I definitely um hope to always promote myself as an ally um but even with the strides that have been made in that community over the past few decades it's just it's just so wonderful to see people just embracing other people and not being ashamed. Like, you know, with artists such as Lizzo, just coming out, being themselves, being authentic, loving their bodies, not wanting to fit into a box. Kendrick's album, oh my God, just the, like you said, the subjects of addiction, the subjects of childhood trauma and racism and, and all of that. Yeah, speak on it because if you think it's still not happening, you're, dead wrong you're in a bubble yeah for sure um and i think it's really really important that people continue to keep coming forward and p.s to what you said about uh not having to wear masks anymore and just going everywhere willy-nilly <laughs> i really thought for some reason that i'd be the one to avoid ever getting covid like mm -hmm. I, I don't know i just thought i'd be that outlier um the second i set foot back in an office space i it? got covid my second week of work <laughs> no <laughs> oh and i'm like and thankfully you know i think i had a, a rather mild case i was down for about five days mm -hmm. um but i still worked from home like a maniac um yeah so it's real in the field protect yourselves protect each other um i still wear my mask here in new york when i go into like target or mm. bigger places i just no, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> it's 
hard. I miss to... everybody's faces. And when I'm with my friends, I try to be a little bit more relaxed. But man, you know, we I think we still have a ways to go. And um, it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't, uh, I just, I'm so grateful for you. And I thank you so much for having me on and letting me ramble. I think I finally stopped sweating. So that's good. Oh, good. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can be myself around Harry. So I, I let him know earlier that for some reason, as soon as he turned on his camera, I was like, all the sweat just released. <laughs> I have that effect on people. I don't From know. my body. It's, it's that smooth Canadian voice just brought it out <laughs> in me. I was like, oh God. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so Chelsea, I guess my last question for you. I, I was watching a Mike Tyson interview the other day because I, I love Mike Tyson. I love the transition that he's made to like, his, his, I loved him before he was a, yeah. sy- like psychopath in the best way. The guy was a killing machine, but uh, now he's like this guy, this old wise guy who smokes weed and is like a prophet or whatever. Yeah. He's chilling. Yeah. He's chilling. I love it. But um, <laughs> when he was, it was like within that transitional period, he got interviewed and it was like, the guy asked if you could send an email up to Cus D'Amato, who was his trainer that he loved like a father. It's like, if you could send an email up to him, like, what would it say in the email? And so I'm, I'm just going to admit, I'm going to steal that question right from that interviewer and ask you, if you could send an email up to your dad right now, like, what what would you ask him or say? Uh, I made it this far without crying. (laughs) I'm sorry for so many things, for doubting the power of James Brown. I apologize, dad, you were so right. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I'm sorry. I hope you're proud. I'm trying and um, and I hope I'm getting better every day. And if I am, it's because of you and thank you. Thank you for everything. And also uh, if you are around and you're able to do so, maybe pluck Harry for me for, <laughs> for asking this question. Yeah, fuck that question. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, it's a great question. It's a great question, and uh, and and don't edit that. <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm not going to. Um, it's a great question, and Harry, in all honesty, it's something that I think about all the time, all the time, because I wouldn't know anything if it weren't for that man. He, um, I love my mom, but my dad gave me so many things to be grateful for mm-hmm. you know gave me so much knowledge and so much enthusiasm um and a really dry sense of humor <laughs> and um I'm grateful for him every day and not a day goes by that I'm not sorry and that I don't try to do better um And that I'm not jealous that he's wherever he is, probably hanging out with Paul Newman and uh, <laughs> and Frank Zappa. It's pretty cool. I hope he is. Yeah. And if you don't know who Paul Newman or Frank Zappa are, please do yourself a favor and Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thanks for asking that, Harry. It is a really good question. And I think for anyone who's lost someone, uh, it's it's a good thing to think about, you know, take into consideration, even, even if you were angry with them when they passed away, take into consideration everything that they gave you while they were here um, and, and think about what you might say if you had the chance. Maybe even do it for people that are still in your life that you need to mend a rift with. Think about what they meant to you in the first place. Um, and maybe make amends 
because life is so goddamn short. Life is so short. And be kind to each other. Yeah. And drink juice. (laughs) (laughs) It's good for the soul. Shout out to Minute Maid (laughs) for these kitty boxes. Um, I didn't mean to bum you out. No, it's you didn't bum me out. I'm not bummed out. Chelsea, yeah. I haven't cried on this show since November. And you just broke me. You've had a good streak. I know. You got to set your, your thing back to zero now. The show has had zero days. I'm bored tears. with the zero. <laughs> my sign that says today will be awesome. No. Um, today is awesome. And it's because of people like you. So thanks, Harry. Thank you. You're, you're a good dude. And I appreciate everything that you do. And thanks for asking those questions because they need to be asked. People, like you just said, people need to talk about the uncomfortable things much more. Okay. Yeah. Well, Chelsea, where can my listeners find you? Find <laughs> if they want to cry. <laughs> if they want to cry more, um, where can they find all your stuff? Um, so you can find me. I'm exclusively on Instagram at the moment because honestly, it's all that I can handle. Um, <laughs> so sure. you can find me on there at the Sticky Eddie podcast. Remember that there are two eyes in sticky. Uh, there are underscores in between each word. You can email me at stickyeddiepodcast at gmail.com. You can visit my website, stickyeddy.com. And I am proud to announce that I've actually taken on a co-host. So oh. shout out. Yeah. Shout out to my buddy, Suzanne. She's on Instagram at grieve-grow. The word dash is spelled out. Um, she's an amazing lady from Long Island. She's got a wonderful thick New York accent that I adore. Um, she's also no stranger to grief and addiction. So we've decided to proceed doing, uh, the podcast together so that we can really cover a wider range of topics. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. The show's growing. Really, really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slowly but surely. So yeah. Thank you. Well, uh, Chelsea, happy Father's Day. If you need someone to reach out to, you know, I'm a DM away. Um, and that goes for anyone listening because this will come out tomorrow. Um, you know, I mean, don't don't hide it. Don't try to suppress it, push it down. Just reach out. And uh, to all my listeners, I will see you guys next time. <laughs> On that really happy note. Um, oh, I love you, Harry. Yeah. You're, you're, you're amazing. Yeah, the love's right back. <laughs> sorry, Harry, guys. <laughs> no, don't say sorry. That's not, no, no, no. Nothing to be sorry about. Anyway. See you guys uh, next time.